This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host Ajit. In today's podcast, we have a really special guest. Somebody who combines his love of cricket with an academic career in mathematics. Uh we have Nitish from the Broken Cricket Dreams podcast. Hello Nitish, welcome to the podcast. Hello Ajit, thank you for the invite. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I think uh we can begin right at the question which i ask every one of my guests what brought you to cricket what has kept you in cricket gotcha so i would say two things here um so one watching cricket and two playing cricket um so when i was so my first memory of watching cricket was somewhere probably between 2002 and 2004 uh people tell me that i watched the entire 2003 world cup and you know memorized like every player from zimbabwe to australia um but my first actual memory that i remember from cricket was the 2004 uh india pakistan series um where uh, the odi series specifically because in that series major players from both the teams had some of the great knocks inzamal lahat played well rahul ravid was bowled on 99 by shoaib akhtar Uh, Mohammad Kaif uh, took the catch of Shoaib Malik um, uh, in the 349 chase. So it was just a great series overall and that's how I just fell in love with the game and have been following it ever since. And in terms of playing the game, then I joined my school cricket team in the when I was in second grade. Um so between 2005 and 7 uh played for two or three years for my school. Um it was a new school and we were building a team. Uh, and just a quick story about Broken Cricket Dreams itself, why the name came, uh, was, uh, so I, I love batting, but uh, I realized looking back, I was a small uh, 9 or 10 year old kid uh, who had two shots in the game, the front foot defense and the straight drive. Um, so uh, we had one uh, inter-school game, just, or inter-school game, just between us, and uh, I came to bat at number 3 um and we were chasing and I stayed there till the end at number 9 and uh, we won the game. And I was like, "Okay, I like this cricket thing." Now the thing was, I did not hit any shots. I just played defensive strokes and just survived for the entire game. And next thing what happened was the season ended. Next year we had uh, one game um in the, I think the Shivaji Park. Uh, it was a knockout game that I did not play. Uh we were I was supposed to play the second game had we won the first one. We did not win the first one. Um then we moved to the United States and I have never played cricket ever since. So that was my broken cricket dream. That's a bit uh, unfortunate to hear, but uh, now with so much cricket being uh, taken up by even as far as a minor cricket league happening. Do you fancy any chances at all? <laughs> um so i haven't thought about that too deeply um i there is a lot of cricket especially in the east coast and the west coast in so north carolina uh, florida all the way to new jersey and in california areas 
Um, I think the minor league uh, is uh, a work in progress and it's growing. Um, I, I know lots of universities in the United States do play cricket. Um, and uh, so I don't think I'm going to go back into playing, but if I ever get a chance, if I move to a city where the sport is nearby, um, I definitely want to join some clubs. And if something happens out of it, that would be fun. But not, not at the moment. Look, don't give it up yet. So it oh, yeah. could be... Uh... Well, you called your site broken cricket dreams. That can stay. But I was going to say, call call it a paused cricket dream. Because if you were to take my example, right? I played some organized cricket in school. Right. Then once I went into university or even pre-university, I didn't play any cricket for, I don't know, the next uh, 10 years or so. Right. Then I came to the Netherlands and I met somebody who was playing for a club and I joined their club. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I know I did not uh, make any big achievements that I can really talk about. But I play the game for myself and I'm very happy to play it. Oh, yeah. The fact that you're still playing it, that, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And, then, and that's one of the reasons for the platform is I know there are millions of fans on the, in the world that, you know, want to play at some level, right? And so that's the goal. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I'm only going to tell you uh, call it a past cricket dream in your own mind. Don't <laughs> be a broken yeah. one. Right, right. All right. So that was an interesting introduction. You actually at least uh, anticipated and answered one of my questions. So <laughs> the next thing is you're interested in mathematics. Uh-huh. So I understand you are pursuing a PhD in mathematics, right? Yes. So how do you manage to find some time? I know PhD can be pretty grueling. How do you find time for following cricket or keeping tabs on cricket? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, so, uh, I would say in manage, I mean, managing is a bit difficult, but uh, I mean, the entire blog and everything started during the pandemic, right? And we were um, confined to our rooms and our home. Um, and that's when, like, when cricket was not happening, uh, and uh, that's when we were like, we, I realized that I missed the sport so much. Uh, and then watching the sport has never been a problem. Uh, even, I mean, uh, especially with cricket being played around the world. Ever since the beginning, I, you know, sleep at odd hours. You know, if, if, uh, in the 2015 World Cup, I had to get up 4 a.m. before school started to watch a couple of games. Uh, and then 8 o'clock, get ready, go to school. Uh, but in the PhD, uh, I usually try my, you know, most of the mornings, 8 to 5, most of the weekdays to focus on school. Um, and if there's games going on, you know, just during lunch, watch some clips or if there's free time. But um, maybe in the evenings or the weekends, that's when I devote my time into the writing per se. But watching, watching and following has never been a problem. I can find cricket anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we go on to your blog, I just wanted to ask you a more utilitarian question. So, if you are to be somebody living in the US, yeah. where would you get to watch cricket legally? So, you know, there are some, uh, let's say, less than uh, uh, less than ideal platforms where you could watch it if, as long as you have the internet and maybe a hidden browser. But where could yeah. you get to watch cricket legally? We look at Willow TV has the rights to most games um, and broadcasted in America, so I have a subscription to that. Uh, and Willow TV is broadcasted on Sling and other places. So, um, yeah, there used to be a time probably like before 
Um, you don't even like I don't. Majority of people will not know that major league cricket is a thing that's coming in 2023. Um, yeah. So it's it's just a niche sport, niche market at this point. Well, I mean, look, it might very well be a niche sport. Yeah. But um, let's let's cast our eyes a little bit into the future. This is going to be a speculative sort of a question, but. Sure. US has a very la- large, um, you know, sports fan base and yeah. a long history of organizing and, you know, conducting big tournaments. They have 100 plus years of, uh, you know, successfully running tournaments in baseball, in basketball and so on. So right. if the US public were to take cricket seriously. Yes. So the question is, will will it be accepted as is? What sort of a expectation can you know, if I were to be a sports fan tomorrow, would I think there may be a team of United States ready to compete really hard at the top level in 20 years' time? Because the sporting complex that United States has, because they produce a bunch of, uh, you know, Olympics medal-winning sports persons. They have successful sports persons in every, most big sports, I wouldn't say every. And also at the end, also when it comes to organizing and running successful sport leagues and sport tournaments. They're very good. We know this, right? So as this is a backdrop, do you think this sport, let's say at least in the shortest format, might take root? Right. So so here's, uh, so I did a piece on this and here were my, I have two or three predictions how this can go, right? Um, so there's two models that cricket could follow. Um, uh, there's uh, the MLS model, the major league model, and that's what I think is going to happen. And then the other one which I wish were to happen was the Afga- Afghanistan model. Now let me explain this for a second. So MLS, uh, major league soccer, um, now we know that you know USA usually qualifies for the World Cup, goes into the quarterfinals, uh, or round of 16, so, so, and then there's a major league, there's some following. And the women's soccer is really top-notch here. But if you really look at the history of Major League Soccer here, the first league that they tried to put mainstream here, uh, I think that was the North American Soccer League, was first started in 1968. Then it took the USA team 22 years to qualify for the World Cup in 1990. They hosted the World Cup in 1994. And the Major League Soccer that we know as of today uh, happened in 1996. Um, women's soccer started probably mid-1980s and by 20 years it was in the public eye. Now, so if cricket follows something like this, right? So suppose the major league cricket is their NASL from 1968, um, right? So it might take 20 years for it to have any re- relevance. Um, I think the women's team will definitely gain faster ground um, and probably by 2030 it could qualify in world tournaments um, and I think they still do um, but the men's team especially um, I think it might take if cricket goes how it's going by 2040-2035 and stuff like that uh, which is a long term goal right um, I think they're trying to push the LA Olympics in 2028. Now, if that happens and that is really popular, that can uh, fasten things up. Uh, but if we were to if we were to predict when a USA team 
might be even like a UAE in the 2022 T20 World even that level. Um, yes, yeah, so it might not qualify within 10 years, but then to be a consistent team in the world of cricket, it might take 20 to 30 years, I would say. Right. Interesting. But 20 to 30 years is not much from uh, the sort of beginnings they've had. The minor league is only running for a couple of years now. So right. I would say real organized cricket only started in the US a couple of years ago. Right. Before that, it was mostly just um, people who are enthusiasts. Mostly, as you say, on the East Coast, I've heard a lot of good things about cricket. Right. Right. So, yeah. So the question really is, um, yeah, I would rather see the Afghanistan model, right? So I, I did read a little bit of your article, hence the origin of my question as well, because I know you've looked into it. Yeah. So if I were to go and talk about your website, so it's a fantastic website, lot of useful cricketing news, lovely blog articles. I think you recently published a 200th article, right? Uh, yes, on 257 now, yeah, 200 articles. Fantastic. So, I mean, look, if you really started it in, during the pandemic in a matter of two, two and a half years, you've written 257 articles. I mean, that's quite something. Just to give you a comparison, right? My podcast is now, yeah, started at the beginning of 2019. So let's say it's comparable and I've only gotten to 165 episodes. So you've done very, very well. I would say, you know, keep this going because you have a very deeply analytical mind. You're doing a PhD in mathematics. So who knows, you may come up with good models that someday uh, even people who are in the decision-making positions may actually use because, well, if anything, I expect with cricket coming to America and America really adapting to the game, yeah. the game itself will be challenged to adapt itself yeah. to this very demanding, demanding setup. Because uh, I always think, you know, uh, there is a certain amount of coziness that cricket has gotten used to because it's a air quotes gentleman's game where as you always say not always the rules of the game are similar to the uh, spirit of the game right they are two separate things and so on so the moment it hits the american um, market and it's taken seriously in america right. i'm expecting the game itself will have a tough time will have to account for itself and actually evolve so from that perspective do you see any any clashes between the let's say the old world thought which likes test cricket and the new world which you know I, I dare say America will start from the new world end but if America were to be considered the new world even for cricket and then there's an old world establishment that sits in England do you see a clash between these two in the upcoming years that's an interesting point uh, so I, mean, I don't know about a clash I always hope all of these uh um, conflicts might be might have a peaceful coexistent at the end of the day, um, but yeah. So if America's leagues were to take off, it was it would definitely be in the shorter format in T20s. Now if they now this is all hypothetical. If they put a lot of money in, and uh, you can already see with the uh, the world is probably uh, the cricket world is probably at. Uh, an interesting position at this place with you know Trent Bolt not accepting a central contract, Colin the Grand Home uh, retiring, uh, and and they're pursuing more freelance career options rather than a central contract. And if the U.S. happens to be a big uh, market, um, then that that might actually be an issue. 
especially for players who are not in the reckoning in the first 11. Right? You see the big three countries have enough players in their pipeline that they can make a P20 ODI test team separately. And some of the and their players even underneath that level that do not make it to their first 11 in any format, but they're really good and can represent other countries. Um, so they might just say, all right, I might just do a freelance career. Uh, and I mean, if US wants to take uh, a lot of those players, they can, but even if you just see the South Africa league that's coming up, um, in the auction, they paid a lot more money than the Big Bash and the UAE International League has also been paying a lot of money. So if all of these leagues are self-sustainable, then there's definitely, I guess uh, to answer the question, to, uh, there will definitely be some push and pull between the establishment uh, and, and the casualties will be the players that are really, really good, but do not make it to their team consistent to the national team consistently. Look, US is a very good uh, option for those what you already named to be the good players who might miss out on one or the other yeah. eleven. Yeah. So there comes the question, really. So with the new world uh, order that the US might adapt, mm -hmm. so you might see more and more a mercenary sort of a interaction with cricketers and mercenary sort of an attitude in cricketers, but nobody can blame a sports person. Everybody knows a sports person. So oh, yeah, it's, it's all. You know, career is limited. Right. But then for me, what is really what is really important is to see if, you know, the old world that sits in Marlebone can actually <laughs> also see that they need to allow the new world mm -hmm. to have its own say and sort of at least take up the way certain things in cricket can still be done. So previously there have been instances where for example there were eight ball overs in Australia mm -hmm. and in England they always played six ball overs right so that didn't really affect the rules uh, that, that didn't really affect the results or nobody really challenged them to say no you should play six balls or otherwise don't call yourself cricket or whatever right mm -hmm. so this way if certain things can be accommodated I dare say cricket itself will be the winner mm -hmm. where um, you know a little bit of flexibility also might be required from boards because you gave me two examples uh, Bolt and um, Colin de Grandhomme because look uh, this brings us to another point we saw that um, you know there are more and more Indian businessmen or uh, people uh, who are invested in cricket in India also taking up stakes in other teams abroad, for example. Right. The same set of teams that own uh, many of the IPL teams also have teams in South African Cricket League, in UAE Cricket League right. and Caribbean Premier League. Right. So if I were to be a cricketer who's 30 plus, right. I know my number of playing years are limited and I'm closer to the end rather than the beginning. I might choose to actually... Uh, you know, retire from my country service so that I can actually benefit from contract with one entity right. that might still allow me to play cricket across four to five different places. Right. Right. This is coming. So I remember not very long ago, uh, you know, the club cricket was so big that it sometimes overshadowed even World Cups when it came to football. I hope this day never comes, uh -huh. but we will definitely see some flux when it comes to uh, how cricketers will sort of probably position themselves in pursuing a career. This is something I truly expect that this is a change that's coming in the next 20-25 years. And US, who's very well known for sort of 
allowing players to fulfill their potential no matter right. where they get to play and how they get to play mm-hmm. might actually be the let's say the the starting place or the sort of the sort of mentality let's go through the games <laughs> that we uh, that we had planned so if you we were to start off yeah. um i'm now looking at first let's go through the india set of odis so there are two series since our previous episode the last two odis of australia england series uh, australia india series in the first t20i last two t20is of australia india series in the first t20i between india and south africa so did you get a chance to see both these series so far i did i did yeah what are your thoughts on how india fared in that uh, india australia series uh, do you do you consider them a fair victors at the end of the series i think this india australia series did a lot of good to the indian team uh, especially the third victory because coming from the asia cup i would i think there were lots of questions on the team on the selections um and and uh winning that third t20 in the fashion that they did it right chasing the big total um their bowler even the harshal patel defending uh only given away six or seven runs in that in the last over um i think a lot of things clicked in that third t20 i that were questions earlier especially from the batting unit um however um especially with the injury announcement today of bumrah uh i i think just like jadeja's injury derailed the plan in the asia cup now india doesn't have as much time uh to think about how to structure their playing 11 i think their 15 would be just fine it is just finding the balance in the 11 but the australia series was actually pretty good spectacle overall and the south africa series uh was so far so good uh, i actually enjoyed the swing and 9 for 5 um in the in those testing conditions um you don't see that in t20 too often but i think both the teams did well to come back from a slow start and a testing circumstance right but look uh, just to going going back to the point about bumrah he looked half the bowler he he really is i mean maybe he was still struggling with some sort of an injury that sort of blew up but in the game that we saw him play uh, he did not look like the finished product so i remember uh, in the second and the third games where you know previously in my tweets i had said if harshal patel and bumrah would be playing you cannot expect india would you know really be bleeding so badly in the death overs but that's exactly what happened in both those games right. especially in the last game i remember i think australia hit 7 to 8 boundaries or in in about 10 balls in that 19th and 18th and even the beginning of 20th over period okay. so only some little bit of semblance of sanity came only at the end last four to five balls okay. so was it just was it just that he was very much still injury plagued and not this 100% or is he actually beginning on a decline because this is something we all suspected because of the way he bowls yeah. there'll be a lot taken out of his body what do you think yeah that's it i think uh, and it just i mean just being on social media all day today there's been a lot of rumors on how things are happening i'm not quite there, there hasn't been clarity from the board on how bumrah uh, was treated like if as you said he was clearly not completely fit when he came back although we did have a couple of yorkers to steve smith that was that meant his skill was still there um but the fact that he was rested in the first game and umesh yadav had to be brought back and then he was rested again yesterday for the south africa game meant that 
he is not fully fit and that's after two or three months of being rested in the first place so i think this is a pretty bad injury because it uh, and the fact that it's even if on the outside he might be declared fit it might be some sort of recurring injury that could probably plague his career um, i hope he still we still see a lot of him like Joffre Joe Archer from 2019 to 2020 he was an absolute beast right the World Cup the Ashes um, you know he, he was and even for Rajasthan in the IPL um, but then since then he has not been playing he's, he's been injured more often than not and that hope, fingers crossed we, I'm hoping we see Boomer back again but uh, and, and I, going back to your point earlier it might be the fact that three-format cricket is no longer feasible for any cricketer, let, let alone a fast bowler. So it, I see in the next five or three or four years, ICC making a mandatory rule that a player has to declare that he, uh, they can only play, they, they have to choose two out of three formats maximum. That's that's very much more farsight that you show than potentially some administrators in the highest body, but also some administrators in the individual country bodies might yeah. actually resist. But we'll see how that comes about. But coming back to the point you made, it is it is indeed uh, yeah it is indeed possible that you know probably India have already shown a bit of foresight in the way they are managing his workload. I think he's always a bit more. Um, a bit more careful. Uh, he plays more tests or more long format cricket when there is a big long format season coming up and so on and so on. So one of my recent guests pointed this out to me and then I, when I look back at it, I see he's already being sort of managed over the last 18 months. Right. But look, fa- sometimes I think it's just, I think we might be over reading into the situation simply because injury is just a part and parcel of a fast bowler's life right. and it might just stop there. Right? We don't need to worry too much about it. Okay. But indeed, the upcoming few months might be crucial mm-hmm. as to how Bumrah may shape up because there are like two World Cups in a matter of like 11 to 12 month period. So and and a big IPL and a big, you know, push because most teams would be trying to qualify for their World Test Championship final. So mm-hmm. 2023 summer is a big time. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting how India will manage his workload. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the series. So look, um, I was particularly unhappy about the way the bowlers fared. Yeah. Because as I said, there was a lot of hemorrhage of runs towards the end. Mm-hmm. And it was just the batting race. And finally, uh, we see the Kohli that we've all been missing, so to say, right? He's always been scoring runs, but to score runs in the emphatic manner he did, mm-hmm. right? I remember he hit a six in the last over in that chase and he got out after that. But let's say the back back of that chase had more or less been broken and he even nearly finished it off. This is the Kohli we know. Right. So have we now uh, seen the Kohli come back? Now he's good enough that he has one or two more really productive years for himself and India? Uh, I would like to think so. Um, I would say I was on the, before the Asia Cup, I was on the fence that, you know, maybe India need to, uh, you know, groom a, a youngster, at least go with a, you know, maybe a Prithvi Shah or some new Samson in the top order for the World Cup. However, saying that, um, to answer your question, yes, he is definitely looking like the, the rest really helped them um, and is back in the frame of mind. I think the first three, or, two or three games in the Asia Cup, he was still, you know, struggling 
and I think there's part of the part of the issue is how post 2021 uh, World Cup, how India wants to play with their batting, and that's sort of contradictory to Virat's uh, usual style, right? He likes to play a couple of deliveries and over just to get in. And you saw in the England series earlier that you know he was dancing down the wicket trying to play across the line. Um, you know, a little bit uncharacteristic. But the Afghanistan game, I think, really got him in the groove. And he uh, and once he broke the shackles, he, he scored a century with a six. And the 71st, you know, has not made a century for the last, you know, how many months or how many games. That's now out of his mind. And so since then, he's just been playing freely. And I think that's good. So he'll definitely keep on going. I hope he, ODI cricket, there's a little more. There's not been a lot of ODI cricket in the last couple of years, which is his peak format. So I hope he plays that for a few years, even if he um, stops in one or two formats. The way I see it is probably T20As will be stopped before ODIs, before tests, because yeah. he's, he's sort of declared very clearly. That test um, is the top. Tests is for him yeah. the topmost format, and he'll always respect it. And even a 40 or a 50 he makes in a test match, probably he holds right. uh, at par with the ODI 100 and so on. So, okay, we'll see how that really pans out. Now, uh, if you were to talk about the other batting star in that series. Well, the batting star of T20As all year, I would say. Mm-hmm. Suri Kumar Yadav. Mm-hmm. How sweet is his timing? Do you think he's, at this point in time, potentially the best T20 batter in the world? I would like to say so. Uh, I think among the, I mean, he's definitely the top three or four, if not at the top. I think the way he's timing the ball is probably better than anybody. Um, yeah, there's Josh Butler, there's the Babur Azam, Mahmoud Rizwan, who are among the runs. David Milan from England as well, um, but the way Suri is playing, and, and it's not only the way he's playing, it's in the circumstances he's coming in, um, because at number four, he's played those innings where, you know, suppose the top three have already made runs, and he needs to come in, hit a few boundaries, and finish the game off. He has done that, he's done that in the first innings. Whenever there is a collapse, he has, you know, as the 17, from the 17 for two, he just played his natural game. I, I know there was a top edge, but you know, once that was out of the way, he was middling every ball and recovered India from a pretty bad situation. So he's he's finishing games, he's chasing, he's coming in at a low start, and all of those circumstances. And even in the West Indies, he opened the innings and mm-hmm. didn't look out of sorts there. So and then KKR, he has been a when he started his career in the IPL, he was a finisher. So he can play any any part of the order. He can play spin. I know the statistics against left-arm spin is not that great, but you know against South Africa with Maharaj and Shamsi, it didn't seem that he was struggling. So he, yeah. So I think he's the best all-round player in form right now. I mean, indeed, he's uh, really also shown it that you know he's almost fearless when it comes to taking on yes. every kind of bowling. Right. And well, it was that that partnership that really rescued India and took them home, yeah. because India were looking down the barrel when he came into bat, and those two sixers of his first four balls, one of them, albeit of a huge stoppage, uh-huh. it doesn't really matter where you hit the ball, right? So he got those six runs, and for me, um, you are absolutely right when you say more than Kohli, the way he batted really took the pressure off uh, Indian bench. I think otherwise they would be very very nervous. The other question is that of 
ऋषभ पंत और दिनेश कार्तिक राइट ऋषभ पंत डिंट रियली गेट टू डू मच इन दिस सीरीज इन ऑस्ट्रेलियन सीरीज एटलीस्ट एंड डज ही नाउ मेरिट अ प्लेस इन द टी ट्वेंटी एट ऑल फॉर यू और बिकॉज कार्तिक इज सॉर्ट ऑफ सो वेल इंटरेस्ट एंड सो वेल ट्रस्टेड टू फिनिश द इनिंग्स probably pant will not get to do much uh, even in the world cup yeah uh, so okay so here's here's my thought. I've thought about this a lot and you know dinesh karthik is one of my favorite players so uh but i'm going to not take bias in this uh i think especially in t20 cricket um the the number the uh number you bat in the role you play is very important and i look back at his at rishabh pant's 2018 season where he scored like 670 runs 150 strike rate um most of his i think there were a couple of innings where he batted down but most of his knocks were at number 3 or number 4 and his entry points were either the, between the 5th and the 8th over and lots of them were wherever he scored like you know 129 or 60 or something he came in at the 4th over right uh So if Rishabh Pant wanted to be in the 11, he had to bat number 3 or 4. Number 4 as we mentioned earlier is now Suryakumar Mayadas and that cannot be taken away from him. And in the situation is because of how Hardik Pandya played at Gujarat this year, right? We already know Hardik Hardik Pandya can bat down, right? But like the alternative would be to put Pant at 4. Suryakumar five, Hardik six. You can do that because both Surya, Surya can play anything, and Hardik can finish games off. But then you're not optimizing them as much. You are you're trying to optimize Rishabh Pant, but I would take a, I would take Suryakumar at number four more than I would take Pant at four. And what's happening is at number five and number six. You always come in different situations. Sometimes at the tenth over, sometimes in the fourteenth over, and Pant needs a couple of overs to get settled. But when you're chasing, uh, as opposed to when you're setting a target, you want to have a player who can hit from ball one or assess the situation. Which I don't think Pant at number five is—he's not the right fit at number five. So your opinion is probably he'll be in the squad as a backup keeper, but he might not make the starting eleven uh, in the upcoming series as well as in the World Cup. Uh, in in this series, he should definitely be there because Hardik is with the NCA, so he should still get game time. Um, and and in the warm-ups as well, he should get game time. Um, and ideally, you know. Uh, so so, uh, and just going back to my earlier comment of why I didn't think. Kohli fit in the lineup, or and it's not just uh, for Kohli. It's either Rahul, Rohit, or Kohli. If you see where they bat in the IPL, they play the exact same role for the franchise, right? And a modern-day T20 team needs one or maximum two of those anchor players. And if you're going to play all three of them, then you're taking someone else's spot at number three. Ideally, you would need. Ideally, two out of the three of Rohit Kohli and Rahul should play. Should open. Number three should be Surya. Number four, Pant. Five, Hardik. Six, DK. So I would, in my ideal eleven, have both Pant and DK. But I don't think that's going to happen for the World Cup. I think India has made a decision, and the way all three in the top are batting, I don't think we're as close to the World Cup as we are. Uh, 
India should not change their top seven at this point. There is also the question of somebody like Huda, right, who can offer you a few overs with the ball as well as you know be a hard hitting top order batsman. Right. There is a bit of flexibility there, but I understand uh, it might not be now the time uh, to you know start uh, making some experimentation there for the Indian top order. But well, they also got some results, but they still have a little bit of cleaning house yeah. that remains when it comes to their uh, indoors bowling. Right, and sometimes, for example, in as we saw in that second, uh, uh, sorry, the first T20I between India and South Africa, Rahul can get a bit stuck. Mm-hmm. So Kohli tried to take on uh, Norke in his very first over, got dismissed. Mm-hmm. And see, when you come up against really top quality bowling, mm-hmm. right? It India were not exactly nine for five, but I thought the maturity they displayed was sort of commendable right you know the target you're chasing there's not a lot yeah. you need to do at the top it's okay you don't need to be 55 no loss in the sixth over right and so on so uh, rohit i find sometimes is a bit hot and cold these days so it remains to be seen how rohit will rescue his form heading into the world cup but if i park that for a second the question is really still um you know uh, if India have the adaptability as they showed. Some days the Indian fast bowling can be so good at the top. We saw it in that uh, that inconsequential game against Afghanistan yeah. where Bhuvi blew them away and then now with Arshdeep and uh, Chahar yeah. really doing a good job. So the question is how often will India have to dig deep and how often can they be more consistent like they did in the South Africa game. Right. Yeah, and I think yeah, the last few World Cups, that's what it has boiled down to, hasn't it? Uh, except for 2021, most of the times in the crunch situations, India has not stood up uh, for, for a variety of reasons, no, not any specific reasons. Um, but I think in terms of the bowling, that's definitely a concern. So, because I initially thought that India has been struggling batting first, but now with all the other T20I series happening, every team is having trouble setting a target. And every team has uh, issues bowling at the death. So, India has India can chase well, we saw, already saw. And it's how, in, while batting first, what's the tone that they set? And as you said, Rohit and Rahul's form is going to determine how India plays in this World Cup. At least one of the top three has to stand up every game. Um, if not, and in the bowling, you need wickets in the power play. Those are the That much is absolutely clear. And bowling, look, it will also depend on uh, where sort of, you know, where in Australia and what sort of pitches right. the World Cup will get because it looks like a lot of Australia has also been affected with the rains and probably the pitch preparation is not exactly up to where you would expect it to be, oh. right? And this is pretty early in the year. So, their peak summer, sort of the best cricketing facilities are saved for, let's say, November, December and this is sort of played in October. Mm. So, it remains to be seen as to what sort of pitches we may get. Right. So, there was one thought process that said the World Cup might be played at least at the beginning parts in places or in pitches, which which might be like how the uh, you know the Chapel Hadley Trophy uh, happened, where you will not get a whole lot of uh, good pitches like 
concrete pitches which will uh, be supportive of uh, hitting from ball one but you'll have to you maybe a 140 150 sort of a pitch you know mm-hmm. sometimes you get to see in dubai so that's the sort of question but in any case i think with the swing in the air and the seam and the cut that they produced of the pitch the indian bowlers mm-hmm. that will be very crucial so power play wickets uh, it, i mean the importance of that cannot be stressed enough because if you now look at the other series that is going on the one where pakistan and england have been fighting a you know it's like a boxing bout really so many games so 14 uh, innings it's very interesting to see that you know one team is completely switched on one day and the, at, on the same day the other team is completely switched off at least this carried on for about four matches until um somehow pakistan won two games they had no business winning so if you were to just take a quick look across this series england was so ruthless even up to the 3028 right where they made 221 with you know ben duckett and harry brook looking like the best two batters like surya kumar on both sides right, right? and then from that they could, they couldn't win the next two games where you know they would look comfortable chasing 166 and suddenly they were all out for 163 and then in the last game so where they couldn't finish off 145 chase what are your thoughts on how these two teams are shaping up uh it's been a very exciting series so i i was thinking that you know seven match t20i series it's going to be boring it's going to be long uh but it's been it's been very exciting uh i think um you know we all talk about you know which pakistan will show up and i think we england is the same in t20s in today's day because I mean, they have all the players that, or I mean, they, uh, England is definitely batting heavy, um, and they their original motto is to go for everything. The days that it goes well, you know, you see the high scores, but that's not happening consistently. I think the concern for England are injuries and the top order, right? So Jason Roy has not been uh, playing in form, so he was dropped. Bairstow's gone. um and the pakistan series not all of their first choice 11 players will be there either um so that's why we see a lot of the ben duckets the harry brooks the 3 4 5 playing and moin ali has played a couple of great knocks as well um so the middle order has been contributing a lot um but i don't think england well especially when when butler comes back and stokes comes back you know maybe things are different but i don't think on their bad days england will not be able to win on the other hand pakistan even if they have a bad day in their batting their bowling can rescue as we saw in the last couple of matches harris roff taking three wickets in the last couple of overs um the run out um and then i think what is it jamal uh, defending 15 uh going um so I, i think pakistan looks promising the it's just that their middle order has not had much of a game time you know it, when baba azam and rizwan bat for a long time they're most likely going to win right so th- that's the other discussion point right yeah rizwan has been papering over a lot of cracks in their top order right his form is probably he's probably in the form of his life and you know right. he's he's batting so well including the last game where you know his 63 was comfortably the highest score mm-hmm. with moin ali only able to make a 50 on the other side and david malan sort of hanging in there but really unable to score very quickly right mm-hmm. so rizwan has 
papered over a lot of cracks including babar azam's lack of form their top order not being able to fire very consistently or very quickly right they have iftikar the likes of asif ali who sort of somehow rescue a bit of uh, towards the end some important 20s 30s and somehow shadab khan has had a good series as well sometimes with the bat and sometimes with the ball he's done the bit but for me there is no consistency yet i mean rizwan can't always do all the scoring as far as i'm concerned babar azam is more like a kohli like player who's you know he's built his game around safety first approach if you look at any of the top uh, fab four as as they called uh, each of them has the same sort of because they are first and foremost test match players and it's a safety first approach where they simply cannot hit in spite of seeing a length that they know is you know the length that they would comfortably be able to hit to mid wicket boundary they are comfortable driving it through mid on something like this right so this is a different discussion but then in this 11 pakistan rizwan and babar azam sort of are the same in terms of how they start off yeah. rizwan is able to kick on if he plays more than 30 35 balls babar azam sometimes even struggles to do that yeah. so you have fakar zaman who's injured who's missing they have tried shan masood at 3 and 4 they are trying haider ali who's very young yet but what sort of a combination do you see pakistan for breaking out of this sort of a loop that they are stuck in uh i think at this point they should stick to what they have uh, because the five so okay they have the right players they're not playing them in the correct order and and because and it's been pointed out a lot in the the PSL Shadab Khan bats at number 4 and he's he does really well but on the national team he rarely gets to play uh in the top and and you saw in the Asia Cup game that Nawaz was promoted to 4 which was a surprise to people who was who were watching the India Pakistan game um who do not follow PSL right but i think a lot of people from Pakistan they know that Shadab can bat Nawaz can bat right so that gives them the extra cushion but i think they i think they need to persist with Kushdu and Asif Ali um So you know, so one, if the car will definitely stay because he gives you the spin option as he showed the other day, um, and he gives you the runs. I think Shadab should bat. So top two are Baba, Rizwan, three Shah Masood. I would say four Shadab. Uh, if the car should be the insurance policy in case wickets you have like forty for four, thirty for three or something, send if the car in. Otherwise, keep him till the end. And if other if the top order like Babar Azam has their good day, right? They back till the twelve thirteen over. Then just send in uh, Kushdil and Asif back to back. Maybe give them a little, couple more overs. Send them in the fifteenth fourteenth over instead of the eighteenth nineteenth over. Um, and in case there's a matchup like uh, with leg spinners, then you can send Mohammad Nawaz at four and keep Shadab at eight. Um, otherwise, I would say give Shadab a shot at four. All right. See, you are expecting a lot of flexibility from three downward. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Question is, will the management in Pakistan be able to see this and sort of put it in place, convince their players, and you know, uh-huh. in theory, they say there's one theory that says you know, T20 cricket should have five batsmen in the top five who can bat anywhere. one day you're an opener next day you're at number 5 it shouldn't matter to you because that's how t20 is right. because you would expect 1 2 3 to face the most number of balls and make it make the most of it okay. if you look at it that way if fakar zaman cannot get going 
Pakistan, do you still think they should have a Babar Azam opening? For me, Babar Azam should be a floating number three or four. It, to give you an example, look what New Zealand are trying to do with Kane Williamson. Uh-huh. Right? Similar sort of a player, if 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 anything, not even as flamboyant as Babar. Right? Right? So in that case, how are you trying to use him is the question. So he's like a floating three or four. Sometimes if required, he can open. Uh-huh. Simply because they are going to have at least one hitter and one sort of a steady hand who can still hit. Like in Conway and Guptill, right? Right at top. So then you have the uh, cushion of a number three who can be a floater or who can be sort of steady influence. Uh-huh. Otherwise, on a bad day, you could be 30 for three in the eighth over like it was in the fifth T20. Right. And then even 30 for four at times. And then you'll have Iftikar coming in and really having to do a complete rescue. Yeah. They were really lucky to have Rizwan in the fifth or T20. Otherwise, they could have actually collapsed to 110 all out, the way I look at it. Right. Bauer, that's it. If Bauer is the floater, who opens with Rizwan? Bakar should open. I see. Okay. He, he's a more free-flowing batter who's actually even made at 48 double hundred. And yeah. on his day, he's completely devastating. If you remember how Pakistan had beaten India in that, um, the, the final of, uh, what tournament was it in, in England? Yeah. Champions trophy, right? So that's what worked for them. Yeah. A completely fearless approach right at the top where it was mostly Fakhar Zaman who took them apart. It was a, I think he was dismissed off a no ball, the bowling of Pumra and so on. We remember that. But he still kept going, right? That's what you need right at the top, where a completely fearless, fearless, fearless approach from one of the top order batsmen, knowing the other guy is very steady, uh, will keep the ship going in Rizwan. I, yeah, I think that would be... I I would agree with that, right? Um, I think Pakistan management is not going to make that decision because of the either was the first or second T20. I think... So, like, after the Asia Cup, there were lots of calls on that, and one of Baba or Rizwan should drop at three. But once they chased that 200-plus, they had the 200-plus partnership, uh, I, <laughs> ideally what I think should happen should be a combination of both, which will uh, not happen in real life. But in, in, when you're batting second, I think Baba and Rizwan is a great partnership because they can see the required rate, and then develop their chase accordingly, right? They can uh, hit, some of the times they hit early on, uh, but that's only while chasing. First innings, I would say go with your strategy, right? Push a, a fucker's on if he's available, or Shah Masood up at the top, or, or even Hyderabad. Hyderabad is a great talent, but I don't think number four, He's he has had the numbers so far. No, I think that might be a step too, too far for him yet. He's not developed so much technically to, if required, go in at one drop in the first or the second over. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so I would say first innings, you know, get that aggressive top order batter and uh, drop one of Baba or Rizwan to number three or four in case things happen. But while batting second, I would still send Baba and Rizwan as opening partnership, which would be a bit inconsistent. So I, I don't think they're going to adopt this approach, but I think it'd be nice to see if they did that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's see if uh, how they'll work out. But from bowling perspective, uh, they are they are in a pretty good position simply because Rauf won them a game himself. Right. Right. The new guy Jamal 
has adapted really well right. uh, to what uh, international cricket can be we'll have to see how he goes in the upcoming uh, games yeah. and jamal can bat you know he's a very very good batsman who has very decent record when it comes to the shortest format yeah. and he was only sent in a bit late he was debuting it it's understandable but he may have a role yet if he's going to pick, fit in the bigger picture for me between mohammad wasim haris rof and it could be nanasim shah it could be hasnain right. because once shahin shafridi comes he'll take one of the positions right so they have a very very strong bowling lineup when it comes to fast bowling how about their spin options shadab and nawaz are you happy with the way they are currently doing the job they're, they're absolutely brilliant and i think uh uh in shadab for sure cuz leg spin is a leg spin gogli is key in t20 but hmm. nawaz has been bowling I haven't seen much of Nawaz bowling in this series, but in in the Asia Cup, when the he he sort of like Aksar Patel, like uh, uh, you know, if you miss the spin and it, it's a straighter one, that the straighter one gets a lot of wickets with the LBW in play. Um, and and what I like about both of them is they offer a lot more than just their bowling skills. Um, Shadab is a gun fielder, uh, and you know both of them bat pretty well as um, too. So. Uh, I like their options and their and in terms of the flexibility we were talking about earlier. If there is any you know player who has to bat out of order, it's going to be Nawaz or Shadab. They're not gonna necessarily mess up. Um, they're not going to uh, tinker with the other people in the lineup. But depend depending on the situation and ma- matchups, because. If they get out early, it doesn't really hurt the team. But if on their day, as as Nawaz did, you know, twenty ball forty, it's on their, um, it, it's going to help you. And, and just going back to the bowling really quick, I think Harris Ralph is going to be a key key figure for Pakistan. It could be an underdog um, because he he started his career before Pakistan in the Big Bash, and I think in his interview said Melbourne is my home ground, right? So. If someone says that, wow. that confidence, you know, it's it's pretty good. Interesting. Uh, you know, as far as the World Cup is concerned, Pakistan could be a real dark horse as well. Right. I mean, they may go much deeper than most of even of their fans might give them credit. I don't know if they'll go all the way, but it, I really see them making the semi-finals simply because of how much experience some of their players have playing in Australia. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be very that's going to be very crucial for them. For me, one more thing to mention is uh, well, Nasim Shah. we heard that he's been admitted to the hospital because he's contracted pneumonia complicated by covid he's out of the england series so we wish him uh, you know a safe recovery and a quick recovery considering the world cup is just around the corner oh. and uh, you know really this guy was quite a revelation uh, we saw him hit the top of uh, off stumps and then hit even a couple of sixes when the team needed okay. this guy is going to be special if he can you know oh, yeah. come around and get his uh, head working and keep it keep it in the game i'm really looking forward to nasim shah doing big things for pakistan uh, in the coming years great great talent and yeah, i do hope that he recovers um yeah i mean nasim and Sh- uh, shaheen shah would be great to watch in together absolutely going on to a little bit of a must be considered slightly old news but um, goswami's farewell game when india did something really really unique they won a 3-0 clean sweep against england but that was not achieved in the most friendly of circumstances there was a lot of she said she said afterwards as well what are your thoughts on mankading was it right radha doing that or uh, not radha deepthi i think yeah deepthi doing that where she broke the stumps with the player out of her crease. Uh, it's, it's been a very interesting couple of weeks uh, or a week uh, 
on this conversation. Uh, so I'm of the view, um, I usually like, uh, you know, I think the game should be played in a right spirit, but I think now with the Monkers, I think even the ICC is trying is to make that a legal way to get out, and, uh, and, and I, I, I'm the, uh, of the opinion that it was a legitimate, legitimate dismissal and there shouldn't be much talk about it. it. It's not like it happened for the first time. Yes, it put a sour taste because the chase was so close, right? Uh, Charlie Dean was playing really well, um, but I, uh, I, I thought there was no problem in that, especially because it has happened a lot more in the last few years and the batters should be more careful. The problem that I have with the rule, though, right? Uh, I, I think uh, it's been equated with stumping and runouts. But when you, like, I think October 1st, the fact that it's now officially a runout and Munkard is no longer a statement. Uh, but uh, whenever a runout happens, right, a ball is delivered. And it's like suppose it's 19.3 and a runout happens on 19.4, right? But that is a legitimate delivery that's delivered, and you know you can score runs off of it. But when a monkey happens, it happens before or after a delivery, right? It's not officially a ball. So how can it be the same as a runout? Which you know going into more legality, when is a ball not a dead ball, and when is the ball alive, right? That that's what I'm. Yeah, but but I think for a few suggestions that I've heard, which I think will be nice, is like I think in the future it should be like running someone out as non-strikers and should be allowed for the sole reason of you know there's been why is there a line in the first place and uh, no balls for the bowlers have been watched right? That's a, bowlers cannot step outside the crease, then why should batters chance? So I think some law made based on that like when the uh, cameraman or the umpire is watching uh the front foot no balls maybe at the same time they should also scan and see if the bats inside the crease if it's not then the ones that happened on that ball should not be counted or you know some some sort of free hit for the bowling team or something like that interesting suggestion so look if i were to look at it from a bigger picture perspective right i recently heard this thought somewhere and i thought it applies so correctly here to mention that batting has so far been or in the historically batting has been a um, reactive sort of an art gotcha so you something happens and the batsman reacts to it a ball is bowled and the batsman reacts to it these days you see that sort of some preemptive na- nature has already crept in so being able to leave your crease before the ball is delivered is one of them the batsman sort of already making up his mind to switch it right right doing something else so maybe the loss of the game also have to you know get a little bit of a jolt that way because look uh, there is a reason why batsmen are so mollycoddled right. because no matter how big a game no matter how important a stage on a bad day it can take 50 deliveries for a team to be all out this is possible completely right, right? so in in trying to balance the bat and the ball um or the contest between the bat and the ball there is a lot of lot of rules that have been uh, shackling the bowling mm-hmm. but now you see the batsmen have been taking advantage of every one of those rules including leaving the crease way early 
right so when it comes to this exact example so come the 1st of october it's going to be classified as a run out mm-hmm. it's going to move from unfair play sort of section to a legitimate run out sort of a section but then there is always this uh, what you mentioned a delicate thing what you said is it a legitimate delivery or not so <laughs> then you get into those sort of legalities did the bowler start his action or not and you can really expect only slower bowlers to come into this you cannot expect a faster bowler actually right. sort of run in and sort of pull into his action and then pull out and then run somebody out i don't see that happening right, right. but still we may see some of, some more innovations from the bowlers as well where they also start noticing how often a batsman does it so mm-hmm. giving a warning also is not required from 1st of october onwards it's just a run out like it's yeah. a run out so so that's going to be interesting how the batsmen again fight back it's it's for the lack of a better term it's just the quintessential let's say the contest between one side and the other there is no good and bad here that's how i would, I would like to say the batsmen will find a way to fight back again the bowlers will yeah. have to get extra vigilant but this is going to be interesting so at the end of the day given that sometimes you talk of bowlers as an endangered species uh, it's good to see that something is being done to try and help the bowlers so that the batsmen cannot get all the advantages whether yeah. perceived whether fair whether you know all of these things so that's going to be interesting to see in the coming days so i'm really looking forward to this rule really being followed because in my cricketing league uh-huh. i actually noticed a couple of these happening uh, where a uh, bowler uh-huh. gave a warning once and the next time the stumps were broken and the umpire had no other choice but to give the batsman out uh, i have one final thought on this and uh, going off if your last point especially our shooting you know when more and more of these in uh, the ipl i think the solution to reducing the number of non strikers run outs is more attempts for non strikers run outs because what happened when ashwin did uh, a couple of attempts of mumbai is now whenever he bowls you will see more batters deliberately being inside the crease right and so right now i suppose this happens a couple more times you know it, it will spawn another conversation for a couple of days but then the fact that it happened a couple more times that means batters will be as you said as as a reaction to that will deliberately stay in their crease more so actually more non striker attempt more attempts on the non strikers and uh will actually be better for the game because that will make batters better at not leaving the crease and one thing elise perry said in her podcast at cricketer was um maybe uh, so when they're doing the replays and uh, a bowler has attempted a non strikers run out and the batter actually happens to be in the crease then it should be given a no ball right like you attempt a monkard but they were in the crease in the first place then uh the batter should be rewarded so you can take the risk to do a run out but if they are in the crease then you know you you lose as well well i mean that does come across as a little harsh but i see where this is coming from yeah, you don't yeah. want you don't want the game to come to a standstill right there is no penalty for a batsman to withdraw from facing the bowler just when the bowler is running in you don't penalize the batter then do you that's true that's true then why would you penalize the bowler just because he's being more wary that the batsman will decrease yeah. that seems like a step too far for me but let's see how these things develop right so if you say you pulled out legitimately i understand you are doing it as a part of gamesmanship the bowler bowling team should get 
minus one. I mean, whenever they come to bat. So right. that's not happening yet. So I'm waiting to see how these things evolve. But there is more to be said and more to be written on this space. Is what I understand on this topic. Definitely. All right. So that brings us to our last couple of points. We saw that you know there was these Lodha reforms. PCCI had a shadow mm-hmm. put around it for the lack of a better term, where some of the governing body's powers were sort of divested into more people. and all right. these things happened in 2016 you know that come 2022 so it's like the body has been sort of eroding away those uh, changes small small yeah. thing at a time up to a point where now there is um, well they've almost been completely done away with what are your thoughts on yeah. what has been unfolding here uh, and uh, just to fill me in if i'm not completely uh into this but this also applies to the election of the head of the BCCI and the yeah so it's definitely not a good sign like i know those reforms were i guess more suggestions rather than a hard and fast rules but the fact that they're going away from it might mean like maybe maybe we won't see the result right away but you can definitely see Gandhi's influence uh, growing and you know Jay Shah like uh Like they've done good things for the for cricket as well, but there's definitely a power struggle that might happen uh, soon, uh, which might not. Uh, I think in the next four or five years, you know, the, the reforms were put into place to solve a few issues in the administration and how certain, you know, there won't be much of conflict of interest in, in, under certain parties. I think. Four or five years down the line, everything that the reforms wanted to solve will kind of be out of the place. Like it could happen again because of the sidestepping of power and stuff like that. Look, it's a very nuanced discussion, but yeah. <laughs> in this case, what I can tell you is, first of all, they were not suggestions. They were actually hard and tough reforms that the body had to take. Okay. So. people were actually made to stand down from their positions in many state boards and so on right yeah right a certain uh, person was put in charge and there was a governing council so that they could hold fair and free elections so that more and more people could come and take part in the governance but now so the for me two or three things really matter one is the removing of a disqualification criteria or a cooling off period is sort of taken out so that same person can come from a state board to a central board as well as there is no disqualification because if the person is an office bearer in an ipl governing council or any other board or committee that is already icc or bcci based he can he or she can still have at best 9 years was the limit now maybe it can still be more right so right. all of these then of course one of the other main things is empowering of the secretary the the power that the secretary held was sort of curbed a little mm-hmm. so that uh, uh, right. you know it at least the governance becomes more uh, distributed but now it's become centralized again so in theory let's say the inertia that the body carried has has sort of borne through rather than those temporary reforms is what they became rather than permanent guidelines right on how the body should function so for me this is a little bit of a worrisome point simply because when you need to change how a body functions especially something as powerful as bcci right they are a non tax paying entity registered as a non profit in chennai so for this entity to sort of not have enough overseers i am not doubting the integrity of the people i am just saying 
right it is the amount of power that is divested in a few people simply because those people that are currently in uh, in power might be very very you know very very deservingly so not every time it's been the case previously right. and not every time it might be in the future right yeah. for the lack of a better example if you look at the executive branch of the american government mm-hmm. even one less than scrupulous individual sitting right at the top cannot do so many changes or cannot bring so many changes that the entire bureaucracy and that machinery sort of de- gets destabilized yep. the machinery has so much checks and balances that that one individual will still have some you know some curbs over him right yep. so this is what it was all about rather than you know not the right people having the right kind of power so i'm right. now worried i'm now worried tomorrow a less than scrupulous individual may take advantages of these sort of restrictions not being in place so that's that's more like my worry but you know at least there is a agm coming up on 18th and there is a high likelihood the same set of people will retain the power even afterwards is that a good thing or a bad thing for you i don't think it's a good, if the restrictions were put on in the that they could only you know run for a couple of terms or one term or whatever them changing you know one rule at a time uh, and extending their power for a couple more or terms is not a good sign and as you said for now it's okay but in the future someone else might say oh this is you know someone took power uh, some someone extended their term got elected again well what's stopping me from you know being head of this organization for a decade two decades right Um, it's happened before. It's, it's happened before, right? Uh, and the mom, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a good thing, but we won't really know the effects of it um, until the current administration is out of power. Uh, yeah, until we see who the next administration is, and if they also continue to take the same steps, or they go back to uh how the reforms were meant to be yeah i mean uh, look it's 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 uh, it's a tautology that uh, you know absolute power corrupts absolutely and so on and anybody who's in power will not want to voluntarily relinquish it yeah. so we'll see we'll see what the future has to say as far as bcci governance is concerned mm-hmm. uh, the last point i wanted to discuss with you is pcb's uh, you know worry that pcb has publicly come out and said that with more and more air quotes indian business people taking control of leagues t20 leagues around the world the same attitude that has sort of been adapted in ipl when it comes to pakistan players is now being reflected in other leagues right and therefore at the end of the day the people suffering are the pakistani cricketers right do you see this as a good thing or a bad thing but first of all do you see that the same thing will actually be replicated across all the leagues so to just to give you some context mm-hmm. there's only one pakistan based player in all of uae t20 leagues and i think there's one or two players only in the caribbean premier league as well both women and men so sort of the same approach is sort of seen there so the worry that they are actually expressing is not completely unfounded yeah what are your thoughts on this uh, and i think even to add on that the south africa t20 league i don't think there was anyone any pakistan based players in the auction uh, yeah, right? yeah uh, and that is a very justifiable concern right uh, i agree with the the concerns of the pakistan board there um 
in the future, it, I mean, it looks like that the same franchises, the franchise that owns teams in the IPL will have a lot of stake in the other leagues as well. It's basically going to be, you know, March to May, IPL in India, CPL is going to be just IPL in the Caribbean in a few months. And I, I mean, I was, I mean, pleased for, I know this is a government issue, but uh, Pakistan players should already have been allowed to play in the IPL. And just from a, uh, you know, an economic point of view, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, the leagues are a product that the BCCI or the boards uh, kind of commercialize to the public. And what's better? Like, why wouldn't we want to see Bumrah and Shaheen Shafudi going together? Why wouldn't we want to see Rohit Sharma, Fakhar Zaman hitting 200s, Bawar Azam in the league, right? So I think eventually it will happen or it should happen. And I thought the IPL in the UAE was the perfect place because in IPL 2021, in the 2010s when Pakistan could not host home matches, UAE was in, to a certain extent still is, was Pakistan's home, right? That was the perfect opportunity to get Pakistan players in the IPL. Uh, and I think they should definitely play, they should not be restricted from participating in the other leagues, right? They definitely play a lot of Big Bash. Uh, I think Imad Wasim, and the, or might be the CPL players, and he, he's been doing really well there. So they definitely act, right. like if Pakistan players do well, that adds to the league, right? That makes the league more competitive, which will mean the games are closer, more people will watch, will, 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 which will end up benefiting the owners of the franchise more. Uh, so I don't, yeah, so I think those are very, those concerns are very realistic, um, especially with uh, how the leagues are expanding. Uh, but I think we'll wait and watch what happens in the next three years, because what's happening with the overkill of T20 leagues is um, some of those leagues might not survive, right? Survival of the fittest. Um, because the calendar is crowded, some of those leagues might die naturally because they're not as profitable as other leagues. And the remaining four or five leagues that ends up lasting, they will need to make sure they're treating all the players well or giving equal opportunity. Yeah, I mean, this is the real concern that uh, if one attitude that is sort of followed by one specific board mm. is taken across to other boards simply because it's the same set of people who are investing in the these franchise sort of cricket leagues, that can be an issue. And that's very realistic. You're right. Let's see how it goes that uh, maybe there is some sort of rapprochement or some sort of a, you know, a compromise that should happen. Because, you know, England has offered to, or ECB has offered to actually host an India versus Park series, right? At the same time, so has Iceland. Yeah, that was funny. Well, I mean, I think they're not being funny. I think they're being serious. So, in, in any case, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is that there may be some interesting other alternatives if the body is sort of um, interested in making things happen. Right. But I think it's probably taking some directives from the government yeah. as... as independent as cricket and sport should be, it's impossible to completely leave it out of a little bit of political influence, no matter how big a body or a body might be, right? Yeah, uh, I just don't see, so, so like the Asia Cup, right? Uh, it was, the, the format was specifically designed so they can 
so the broadcaster can get up to three Indian-Pakistan games, right? That was the entire goal of, of, the, of the format of the club, right? If you're putting so much effort into changing the format so you can hit a three-game series, why not just do a three-match Indian-Pakistan series in the UAE and then have a good format? Like, I think Bangladesh did not play India or Pakistan at all in the Asia Right, that's that's not an Asia Cup. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't see the difference how you, you're allowed to play in multinational national tournaments in neutral venues. Why cannot, why can you not play bilaterals in the same neutral venue? Absolutely. Now it remains to be seen how uh, this problem can be solved, whether the governing body of the sport in the world, ICC can actually give some directives or some sort of suggestions and will BCCI, who at least on paper seems to be the body that seems to be blocking these attempts, yeah. are they able to reconcile? Are they able to even listen to those things that are being told to them by the ICC? It's going to be interesting because at the end of the day, it's all business-driven. And if it's business-driven and if it becomes that way, then who's to stop Pakistan and a few other boards who, you know, 10 years down the line are so disgruntled by the dominance of BCCI starting a parallel league, mm-hmm. a parallel body and then floating a parallel set of leagues, right? Mm-hmm. So, this this is the worst thing because chess had this issue, boxing has this, had this issue where, you know, parallel leagues exist, parallel belts, parallel World Cups exist and so on. So, you really don't want to go there. So, uh, it, it's it's also very interesting to see how this might happen in the upcoming uh, or how this will unfold in the upcoming couple of years. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for uh, you know participating in this podcast. It's been very interesting chatting with you. We would love to have you as a guest once again. Yeah, and, uh, thank you, Ajit. Thank you for the opportunity. This is my first podcast. So I really enjoyed this and I listened to the conversation with Annie uh, Chait the other day. Um, so, uh, love the stuff that you guys are doing and yeah uh, enjoyed uh, once again and thank you so before we let you go would you like to plug any of your work any upcoming work yeah sure thing um, so these days uh, and, and we touched upon a lot of these topics we've been talking a lot about um, the, what the options players have in the in the current day and age of cricket financially. Uh, a lot of, so, so the Broken Cricket Dream says, we, uh, I basically have two or three separate uh, kind of topics. Uh, one, one is for, you know, just, just inspiring people by telling stories of cricketers, right? What can we learn from Dale Stain? What can we learn from Elise Perry? What can we learn from Rahul Robert? But then the other problem about Broken Cricket Dreams is broken cricket, right? What kind of solutions can we offer? Uh, what in an ideal world, how would, uh, if we were in administration, what things would we do? So when, when I started this blog, I wrote a lot of things on how we can fix the World Test Championship. How can we make, uh, uh, you, know, you know, test cricket a little better, more competitive. But all of that assumed that, you know, the big three play more evenly uh, with the other countries, which is not going to happen. And why is it not going to happen is because of the finances in the game. So these days I'm exploring how the finances affect, which are the richest leagues in the world, how do players earn money. And uh, one article I want to say is um, I wrote something about the seven different types of careers cricketers can have. 
right? So like a Pujara can play class and county cricket and how much will he earn just with that? How much can someone like a Sam Billings earn who does not have an England contract, so he does not earn the seven eight hundred thousand as a contract, but he earns per game and he and that's why he has to supplement his career with two or three leagues, not necessarily six or seven leagues, but he does have to play two or three leagues. So that's kind of the scenarios that I'm running these days and um, in the future some things will come up like how much money does it take to host a test match? How much money does it take to get a roof so in a stadium so it doesn't rain? You know, why isn't there DRS and BBL until this year? How much money does DRS count? So stuff like that. Absolutely fascinating. It goes without saying. I recommend all your work on the brokencricketdreams.com to our listeners. Uh, we wish all our listeners a good day where, wherever they may be listening from. And if you have any thoughts or comments about the work we are doing, mm-hmm. please do write into us. Uh, we are always, uh, you know, looking forward to any feedback. Thanks a lot once again, Nitish. Uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you, Jeev. Bye-bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.